So I have a, a confession to start with this morning. Our family was a little bit late to jump on the devotions bandwagon. Just a few weeks ago, we bought a devotional book, and we've started running through that. Um, most suppers, you know, afterwards, as the kids are finishing up. We started a few weeks ago, and, um, you know, Mandy and I read the first several devotionals. And then about a couple weeks ago, our seven-year-old son, Micah, said, you know what, I'd, I'd like to read it tonight. And so, sure, no problem. We passed it off. Actually, it was this one over here. And uh, Micah's a pretty decent reader. He did quite a good job. We had a couple corrections with some tougher words, but he did a great job. But there are two points in which Manny and I had to try very hard not to burst out laughing as Micah, in, in all of his cuteness, read a scripture quotation from the New International Version, and he read it this way. Christ is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Colossians 1.17, Niv. And he did that twice. I don't know. For us, that was super cute. Uh, the thing the kids found the funniest, though, was that this devotional is by uh, Louis Giglio. And for some reason, the mention of his last name just had them erupting in laughter. Not sure if that's a good thing. Hopefully they don't do that at school with like other kids, but there's our kids for you. We're working on them. So kids are awesome often. Sorry, kids are awesome. Uh, often when I'm asked what parenting is like, I say it is exhausting, uh, but one of the most fulfilling things in life. And it's such a privilege to be able to raise our children in God's ways. And so this morning, we're coming back to our Family Dynamics sermon series. We're going to be hitting it kind of here and there for the spring. And this morning specifically, we're going to be talking about the topic of parenting. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we'd love for you to turn to Deuteronomy 6. And we're going to be spending our time in verses one to nine. So I'll invite you to stand as we read God's word, Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 9. Now this is the commandment, the statues, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. 
So this morning from our text in Deuteronomy 6, I want to propose to you that the most important thing about parenting actually has nothing to do with children. And we'll get to that in a second. Broken down this sermon in three points as any good sermon. So we're going to have God commands for our good, uh, the most important thing, secondly, and last of all, teach God's commands diligently. But before we dive in, love to pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that it contains. Thank you for the way in which you speak through it by your Holy Spirit. And Father, we ask that that would be the case this morning, that you would speak to us, Lord, uh, regardless of whether we're parents or not. Uh, there's something that you want to speak to us this morning. And so we commit this time to you, Lord. Uh, open our, height, our, our hearts, open our ears to hear from you and to be conformed into the image of your son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so first of all, God commands for our good. So Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Yeah, got that right. It's the fifth book in the Bible. It is the last book of what is called the Torah or the law. Uh, The word itself, Deuteronomy, means second law. And it's because this book is basically the last words of Moses to the nation of Israel just before they go into the promised land. And he is covering over the whole of the law. And so Moses has quite a history with Israel, right? If you know your Bible at all, we know that God sent Moses to bring the nation of Israel out of Egypt. Moses was God's mouthpiece to Pharaoh announcing the 10 plagues. Then Moses actually led Israel out of Egypt through dry land. They crossed through the Red Sea. They came out, went to Mount Sinai. Moses went up the mountain, received from the Lord 10 commandments brought them down to the nation that was not following God, but worshiping a golden calf. Moses <clears throat> is almost like a parent to Israel. And then after some time, he, he brings them to the promised land that God had in store for them. And there, Moses and God's leadership is rejected, right? The Israelites say, no, we're not ready. The people in the land, they're just too big and scary. We, we can't take them. And even though Joshua and Caleb say, with God's help, we can do this, the Israelites protest. And so they spend the next 40 years wandering the desert. Now, through that time, Moses had 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 his own incident of disobedience. And so God had told him that he would not be able to personally enter the promised land. But now Moses brings them back. And here they are right on the edge of going in. And these are Moses' Final words for Israel. Obey the word of God. Listen to his commands this time around. Deuteronomy 5, the chapter previous to to this one, is a relisting of the Ten Commandments found in Exodus 20. And for about 30 chapters, Moses repeats the law of the Lord to Israel. But I want you to, to notice something from the first three verses of our text here. Often we, often all these laws, you know, in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they can become burdensome, right? It, it just seems like law after law, and we're so, this is so rule-bound. 
But I want you to notice in these three verses God's purpose for the law. Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 3. Now this is a commandment, the statues, the rules that your Lord God commanded me to teach you that you may do them, not just know them, but do them in the land in which you're going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I command you. So rules, rules, rules. But now notice why. All the days of your life that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. See, the reason why Moses in his final words is, is just giving all this, these laws to the nation of Israel again and, and urging them to follow them is because it's for their good. <clears throat> now, sometimes we have trouble with this, if we're honest. I think we can look at all of God's commands and feel like he's restricting us. Like he's putting this, this spiritual straitjacket on us. God, you know, I, I want to go do this. What's wrong with it, right? Maybe it's even a, a good thing, but it's, it's manipulating or it's, it's twisting a good thing out of God's purposes. And we might even begin to think as God as this, this cosmic killjoy, but yet, we have to remember that God's commands, they're always for our ultimate good. One of the things I love, by the way, about this setting is that my kids right now are in Sunday school, so I can tell all sorts of stories about them and them not here. So here's a story about Kennedy. On Tuesday, um, Mandy made a, a delicious supper. She fried up some coleslaw, some ground chicken, mixed that together, put it on a bed of rice, sprinkled some chopped peanuts on top, then had some Szechuan satay peanut sauce on it. Um, I'm starting to sound like Eldon here, hey? (laughs) It was a good supper. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I like just ate that meal so fast. Uh, Most of the family ate it pretty well as well. Uh, But Kennedy, our our just turned five-year-old at the end of the table, she was not having it. Uh, we were all about finished our meals. I think she'd taken maybe two small bites. And so Mandy and I really started encouraging her, like, Kenny, you, you have to finish your food, hun." I threatened, you're going to eat it for breakfast if you don't finish it now, right? Mandy one up to me and told her, you know, you're going to have that for lunch and snack tomorrow if you don't eat it for breakfast. That would not have gone over well because her mom was watching Kennedy the next day, but whatever, you said it. She just, she was not eating this food. You know, we, we did our devotions, and by the time that was done, she was maybe a quarter done her food. I cleaned up all of supper, still not done. Like, 
we thought Jesus was going to return before Kennedy finished her supper. And you might ask, like, so, so why do you push? You know, parents, you have to pick your battles, right? We don't always force our kids to finish their food, but for some reason that evening, we wanted her to. But what's, what's the ultimate reason why we would push Kennedy to finish her supper? It's not because we want to, you know, demand our child to follow some rule. It's because we love her, right? Like, we want her to be healthy. And part of being physically healthy is eating healthy, balanced meals. It's the same way with, with God's commands, right? All of his rules, all of his regulations, God gives them to us because he loves us. He wants our good. And so I want you to uh, just keep this truth in mind as we walk through this text this morning. So I want to move on to the most important thing. In preparation for this sermon, I asked I think about four different couples, parents, who, who I respect in the way that they've parented their children, uh, five different questions. Some of them have young children, about the age of our children. Others have children that are already seniors themselves, and so they've, they're parenting in different stages of life. But the one question, one of the questions I asked them was, what do you think the most important thing about parenting is? These are some of the answers I got. Prayer, consistency and discipline, expectations, priorities, and common sense. Second answer was, the most important thing about parenting is being honest and authentic at home when no one is watching being honest about our struggles and frustrations with those who know us best. A third answer, which was a very thorough answer from, from one of the mothers, uh, she offered an answer that fit the Christian worldview and one that would also fit secular or Christian worldview. For that answer, she said, consistency, patience, openness, love, practicing what you preach, security, using discipline wisely. I mean, I think we'd all agree these are great things about parenting, right? We want to be patient. We want to be consistent, loving. I think our text this morning, I would propose, points us to the most important thing about parenting. Let's take a look at verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord... Our God, the Lord, is one. I want to make a quick clarification. We just came out of our Trinity sermon series. And one understanding of this text is that it refers to the unity of the Trinity. Uh, that's not really the case. The Trinity is united. But in this context, what Moses means is that there's only one true God. And he's telling Israel that that, that one true God should be their God. But hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That is the most important thing. Later on in the Gospels, uh, Jesus teaches the same thing when he has 
a Pharisaical lawyer come to him and, and publicly question him in Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40. He's asked, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, Jesus adds. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. It all boils down to this. I don't, uh, I don't use the message lots, especially for Bible study, but I love how Eugene Peterson sometimes puts it in a fresh way. This is how he writes verse 5 of Deuteronomy 6. Love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love him with all that's in you. Love him with all you've got. And so I propose to you this morning that the most important thing about parenting is that you, that, that I, as a parent, are following this commandment, loving Jesus with all that we've got. I want you to imagine for a minute um, the, the perfect parents. So say it's, it's the million-dollar family without the million dollars, mom, dad, son, daughter, and the environment that these parents create in their family is just one of constant love and support. Right from earlier on, they're always, you know, going to sport practices and games, you know, and dad even becomes the hockey coach for a bit of his son's hockey team. Their daughter, as she discovers her interests, she picks horses of all things, which are just a waste of money in my mind, but some people like them. <laughs> and so she uh, gets horse riding lessons that her parents pay for, and later, you know, they pay for her to, to ride a, a horse that they're boarding, and they even help her buy her own horse. These parents are, are always supporting their children. Birthdays are a huge deal in their family. Uh, every summer, they go on a somewhat extravagant, fun family holiday where they, they connect and just build their relationship. You know, it's, it's wonderful. If these children had to describe their, their home life in one word, it would be loving. Things are, are great. But these parents aren't modeling the relationship with the Lord as well. You know, they, they went to church for a, a really long time until their children were actually even young adults and, and had a boyfriend, girlfriend, got married. But eh, then the church went through a bit of a struggle. And so it's just easier not to go and to, to stay home. They were still really intentional, though, about Sunday mornings and they invited all their kids over for breakfast and they'd, st they'd stay for lunch. You know, they'd nap on the couch. They'd just hang out for the day and spend the day together. But these parents did not model prayer for their kids. They did not actively model reading or teach them the scriptures. And so over time, these children grew closer and closer and closer to their parents, but grew further and further away from Christ. 
you maybe know a family like this. I, I ask you to imagine, but I, I, I'm speaking about a real family that I know. My point is that if we want to parent well, that the most important thing we can do is, is to model for them a, a vibrant, loving relationship with our Lord and Savior. And so I want to ask you a question this morning. We, we don't often phrase it this way, and I think maybe for good reasons, but if you had to rate your relationship with Christ this morning, how would you rate it? You know, if scale of a one to ten, one, you're just heading, hanging on by a thread to, to ten, you're, you're daily, actively seeking the Lord. Don't answer out loud, just in your head. Where, where would you find yourself on that scale? I want to encourage us, regardless of where we're at, that we might see Christ diligently. And especially if you say, you know, my, my faith has been on the back burner. That even today might be the day that you take a step to really put Christ first, to love him with all that you've got. So the most important thing that we can do for our children is to, to model that loving relationship with Christ. But Deuteronomy goes on to give us a, a very important and practical application especially for parents, and that is to teach God's commands diligently. Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 9. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So I'm going to give you some, some practical ways to, to apply this, especially, especially for parents. Uh, but I first want to tell you how not to apply these commands. So if you've ever been exposed to uh, religious or legalistic Jews, maybe you've gone to, uh, to Jerusalem, for sure you would have seen this there. But the Jews have taken these commandments very literally. So there's the, the one command here, you shall bind these commands on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. The Jews, and, and we have a picture here, they've come up with these things called phylacteries. And what it is, it's a small leather box that they will use with a leather strap and bind that on their forehead and even on, on their bicep. Inside that little box, they'll have a few different Old Testament scriptures, one of them being uh, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9. Another way that they do this is through what's called a masusa. So verse 9 talks about writing these on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So you can buy these small metal boxes as well, kind of a little bit longer, and you can put that on the doorpost of your house. This would also contain Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9, verses from our text this morning. And I mean, there's... There's nothing inherently wrong or morally wrong with doing these things. Um, if you came in here next week wearing a phylactery, I may laugh inside my head at you. Um, but there's nothing inherently wrong with these things. But if it's 
just an outward sign, then you're missing the point of this text, right? I want to come back to the message again. Verses 6 to the beginning of 7 from Eugene Peterson. He writes this, Write these commandments that I've given you today, not on a little piece of paper in a leather box on your doorpost, but write them on your hearts. Get them inside of you and then get them inside of your children. The word that the ESV uses to describe how we should do this is that we should be diligently teaching our children God's ways. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines diligent as being steady, earnest, and energetic effort, devoted and painstaking work and application to accomplish an undertaking. This isn't this just some lazy, laissez-faire undertaking. This is intentional, active work. You notice there in, in verses 6 to, to 9 how there's all these different situations in which Moses commands the Israelites to teach their children, right? When they're at home, when they're walking on the street, when they're lying down, when they're standing up. What's really happening here is that uh, Moses is using a, using a rhetorical device called a merism. So a little bit of English grammar for you. A merism is contrasting two parts of a whole, pointing to that whole. In essence, everywhere, right? At home, in the streets, when you're out and about, in the morning, in the evening, any time, diligently teach your children God's commands. So what are some practical ways to do this? Some of these are more uh, geared to parents with young children. Others, these can apply to older children, grandchildren. Uh, we can certainly apply them to ourselves. Uh, one way might be through devotions. If you've got uh, a child, if you have young children here this morning, um, I'm going to leave these few books on the front here. You can take a look if you're interested. Uh, the devotional book that we just started is called Indescribable, 100 Devotions About God and Science by Louis Giglio. That's very entry-level, uh, good for young kids. Um, a book that Pastor Chris Ross recommended, he's our family and equipping pastor, is Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing by Sally Lloyd-Jones. Um, a devotional book that Pastor Crystal, our children's pastor, recommended is one year of dinner table devotions and discussion starters. Um, I'll leave these here. I think the big thing is not so much what book, but that, that we're intentional, right? In sharing the word of God with our kids. Another one would be praying together, modeling that. Praying maybe before meals, before bed, but really at, at any time. I remember years ago, a friend of mine who had young children told me how an ambulance had gone by their house and his young daughter had said, Daddy, let's pray. And he thought, well, like, what for? Well, well, the ambulance just went by. Someone must be sick or hurt. We should pray for them. And it was a bit of a, a challenge for him because he, he hadn't thought to pray, but he and his wife had obviously modeled that in their home so that their daughter, you know, without asking her, had initiated prayer in their house. Another way would be through what we're doing right here, through church on a Sunday morning, bringing our kids and listening to God's teaching, having them be part 
of Sunday school, right? Where we have teachers who will love on them and teach them God's ways, his commands. And a little plug for Viv this morning, we, we need volunteers right now. So if, if this is something that you're convicted of, uh, we need one to two preschool helpers. We need two grade school small group leaders, and we need one nursery volunteer. So Viv, if you can wave for everyone, she's the lady you want to talk to after this service. Lots of ways, Christian friendships, uh, Christian resources, whether that's books, um, adventures in Odyssey, is that still a thing? That was big when I was growing up. Um, conversations, before bed, you know, at mealtime, but really unstructured throughout our day that we are diligently pointing our children to the Lord. Now, please don't take this list and turn it into a phylactery. You know, this, this legalistic, rule-bound, rigid thing that you do. The, the whole point is that, that we are going deep with God's commands in our own hearts, and then out of that, diligently, we're, we're overflowing into our kids' lives. So, in closing, from the answers that I received from different parents, I asked them five different questions. There's one answer that stuck out most to me. Uh, this answer is actually from our own Kyle and, and Cecily Dickey, and uh, the question that I asked was, what has been the most helpful tool for you as a parent to point your children to Christ? And the answer I expected was some Christian resource, maybe a devotional, maybe a, a children's Bible. Uh, Cecily's answer in, in the email that she responded was this. The most helpful thing to point your children to Christ is our failings. There's no better way as a parent to point your kids to the cross than explaining your own sin and undeserved forgiveness. This isn't to imply that we should fail on purpose, but instead have the humility to admit to our kids when we are wrong and to ask their forgiveness if necessary. Conversations like that always open up some of the best conversations about faith and life. We're going to fail at parenting over and over again, right? We'll say things that we later regret. We'll lose our cool and maybe discipline too harshly. Might promise things and then not deliver. Outside of parenting and life. We'll do the same things. We'll fail repeatedly. And let's call these failures what they are. Often it's sin, which has devastating consequences, breaks relationship with God, potentially for all of eternity. But the most wonderful thing is that God is our heavenly father and that he loved us so much that he gave his one and only child, his son Jesus, to restore us into relationship with him. And that it's through Jesus' obedient life, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection that we have forgiveness of sins and we can be reconciled <laughs> to the most loving father 
you could ever imagine. Let me pray for us to close. (sighs) Heavenly Father, thank you that you've made it possible for us to call you that. Thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your one and only son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, through your sacrifice, through your death and resurrection, that we have relationship with you. God, as we we seek to live in your ways, as we seek to raise our children in your ways, uh, following your truth, uh, I pray for your help. Uh, Would you give us strength each and every day? And Lord, uh, more than anything else, would you help us to love you with absolutely all that we've got, that we would love you, that we would seek you, that we would diligently run after you. You're so worthy, Lord. And so we, we pray these things earnestly. Uh, we praise you for who you are. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.